0: I'm Jennifer Isabella
1: and I'm Keith Johnston
0: your co-host for Forrester's podcast what it means where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities today we're joined by vice president and principal analyst Thomas Husson and principal analyst David Johnson to discuss how the pandemic has impacted employee engagement and burnout welcome both
2: thanks for having me and thank you as well
0: So for fear of stating the obvious, obviously (laughs) 2020 was a very difficult year um, from a number of angles. But for leaders specifically, having to navigate new waters, new challenges, um, maybe we can start there. What were some of the top challenges that leaders were navigating during the pandemic before we really dive into employee engagement and burnout specifically?
2: So a completely different way of working is the is the shortest way to describe it. Employee experience really is the sum of people's perceptions when working inside their organizations every day. Well, that completely changed. You know, all the cues that they have uh, about how well they're doing, how you know supported they are by their colleagues, by their manager, and everything else has completely changed. And also the tools that they use to be productive every day are are different. Um, And so remote work is a completely different thing for people. And, uh, and so managing that and navigating that was a huge challenge um, before we even talk about engagement and burnout and keeping their companies alive and shifting the way that, that uh, not just the way that people were working, but also the nature of the work that they were doing to stay ahead. So David, uh, you know, or Thomas uh to that end
1: you know this is a whole new set of circumstances that leaders are dealing with and in so many ways employees are more engaged not less despite us all going remote um talk about some of the some of the skills and some of the requirements that are needed uh you know coming out of this pandemic era uh that we can that we should learn from
2: when it comes to engagement so one of the things that's interesting about um, a, a crisis like this is, uh, from a psychological perspective, we're more likely to be engaged. Um, a lot of the employee engagement experience research points to that, right? That uh, that when we feel like um, we're under some kind of threat, that uh, that we're more likely to to double down and be more engaged. So you know. Fundamentally, that's what's happening for a lot of folks. But also, um, you know, they, there was a sense that there there's a sense for people that their work matters more um, when their companies are really struggling and that they uh, need to be working hard to stay ahead. Uh, so... You know the sense of the importance of the work but also the conditions that they're working in there's a lot more opportunity to get deep work done when you're not in an office being distracted by people and so uh and so that's also a part of what's going on here as well so there's a bunch of things coming together to actually improve engagement uh in the in in the remote working scenario
1: so tomah we were we were affected differently around the world um the us uh you know the eu we all had different circumstances, different times of recovery. We were experiencing the pandemic in different ways. Um, what are some of the things that we've observed the last year? What's our data tell us about uh, engagement?
3: Well, to, to David's point, uh, engagement has increased uh, in, in most European countries as well, probably more so in Germany than in the UK. For, for a number of reasons, I think. One is, you know, we know su- having sufficient autonomy is a key driver of engagement. And for the workers who were able to work remotely, which is, you know, a, a subset of the working population, they had more flexible schedules. They had, uh, you know, could benefit from uh, not commuting. They had more control uh, over the workplace, the ability to to focus with fewer interruptions. So I think that helped increased engagement. Um, and I think it has also um, led to this request for meaning, you know, the crisis, Uh, led to workers wondering, you know why they work why they should wake up and and go well not go to work but simply do their jobs and this notion of meaning is increasingly important and we've seen a number of companies you know insist on their purpose and their reason you know how they contribute to society which help also i think drive engagement uh, but one of the key challenges that I see is that some of these metrics may be misleading uh, because few firms really master how they measure engagement uh, and, and how they survey, uh, you know, their, their employees. So I think there are a, a couple of uh, uh, cautious uh, points to be aware of that I'm sure we're going to discuss uh, uh, later.
1: Tomorrow, you, uh you mentioned Germany and uh which comes to mind some of you know massive global companies uh over there have had this complete paradigm shift and how they've managed and nurtured their culture like this is dramatic you know for some companies uh talk about the just the the impact of the pandemic on companies cultures as it relates to employee engagement
3: (laughs) Well, I think this is a massive shift because this is about um, how you change the, the, the way you manage people uh, and how you trust them, how you provide them the tools they need to do their jobs without necessarily being able to you know, physically interact with them. So it's how you maintain the right level of energy, of collaboration, of creativity within within teams. Um, and so a couple of companies like Siemens, for example, have, been, have made massive and en- significant announcement of how they will shift the, the, the working culture and habits. Uh, so that's, that, I think that's a drastic shift. And when I compare to uh, some of the global data we have, or the US data, uh, this is not just in Germany, this is also true in France and in the UK employee experience overall uh, is definitely less of a priority than in the US. It is considered as important, but it's not considered as a, as a strategic imperative the way it is uh, in the US, the, where data is uh, very, very clear about this. And this is actually quite surprising and striking to see that uh, while well, there is no one-size-fits-all, some firms over here in Europe are lagging behind uh, not just in terms of how they survey their own employees and how they listen to them, uh, but more broadly, how they think holistically about employee experience. So, if you don't measure engagement, if you don't measure burnout, you're definitely at risk.
1: Yeah, and we, you know, we talk about uh, this shift to anywhere work, uh, and there's uh, great aspects of of working anywhere, but then there's uh, also you mentioned burnout. Dave, what are a couple of things that we've learned uh, that we can uh, start to consider how we design our any work work strategies so that we don't have burnout?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great one. There's a lot of nuance here as well. In our EX index data, you know, we study burnout. I think we're the only data set that I'm aware of that studied burnout for, you know, information workers on a global scale. There's lots of engagement data out there, but not much on burnout. So um, the strongest predictors of burnout are uh, the top three are lack of recognition for hard work or accomplishment. And uh, second is recent organizational changes that affect them, have them feeling down. And then third is a micromanaging boss. Now, you think about this in a remote work setting, um, you know, it's very easy for people to feel like they don't have the same feedback on their work and how much their work matters and, and, you know, how good and how well they're doing, you know, relative to metrics and goals and so on, or just that tactile feedback that we get from, you know, working with people every day. And so my analogy for this is if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, if somebody's working their butt off for, you know, days, months and weeks at a time and nobody seems to notice, uh, how long are they going to continue to do that for? So our guidance to our clients has been to really ramp up the recognition, ramp up those manager one-on-ones and everything else, and make sure that people feel like uh, they're contributing in meaningful ways so that their work really does matter. And also the second one with, Um, you know, recent organizational changes. Well, it's not uncommon for people working remotely to not be seen in the same way as others who are in the office. And so may or may be less likely to be considered favorably when organizational changes happen just because they're not there every day. And so people don't have that same sense. Decision makers don't have that same sense about them that they would with people in the office. So that's another one, right? Making sure that they have some level of equity in those kinds of decisions uh, the other, the other third thing is a micromanaging boss. Um, this is one that could get a little bit better, right? If you don't feel like you've got somebody looking over your shoulder all the time. But yet, at the same time, there's been a lot of interest in what we call bossware, <laughs> right? And other things to keep track of productivity and other things, and uh, and that can be a real challenge if you have an anxious boss that's going to start looking at measuring minutes. And as James McQuivey said uh, recently, one of my one of our analysts on this team. If you want to measure minutes, you'll get minutes. But if you want to measure results and outcomes, then you'll get results and outcomes. So, very important uh, to, to pay attention to what you manage here. And, and uh, the burnout data is really good guidance for this.
0: So, do you think that the pandemic, you know, kind of pointing to that middle piece um, where perhaps historically remote workers were not considered when organizational changes or even, promotions and things just because they weren't as visible as in office workers has the pandemic with, you know, most people working from home created a little bit more of an even playing field because there's a a better sense. I mean, just we're all working our butts off right at home regardless. And there's a better sense of, of that you can be productive working from home and that regardless of where you are, if you're a junior employee or a more experienced individual, you know, those roles work in this environment. So, do you, is there sort of like a, a a reset on, you know, kind of the perception of remote work happening as well?
2: Like my, my first answer is for now, yes. <laughs> Will it last? Right. Yes and no. Um, think about it this way. Uh, Now, all of a sudden, every manager and leader, uh, and a lot of times those folks were working in the office, right? They might have employees that were remote previously prior to the pandemic, but most of them now have an understanding of it, right? They get it. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, I get it. I understand what this looks and feels like now. And so there's more of a sense of people being uh, all in one boat together working remotely. But, you know, as we emerge from the pandemic and people start returning to the offices, there is a risk that there could be some fallback there and just awareness. But it's just really about awareness. Uh, and uh, and so I think though the familiarity and the understanding uh, on the manager side is going to be the biggest thing, and you know how we build relationships. People have proven that they can continue to build and maintain relationships when working remotely. Uh, in a similar way, even though it wasn't the same as being in the office and having those incidental you know, contacts. A lot of companies have done a good job with promoting those opportunities for social interaction and, uh, and team building and so on when everybody's in the same boat working remotely. So I think there'll be a positive halo effect long term.
1: Being remote is pretty binary too, right? You're either on the video or you're not. Right. Uh, you're either present or you're not. Uh, that's so it's interesting is that we're we talked earlier about we're, we're more engaged because you you really have to be present, um, but we're always on too, you know, so, you know, tomorrow, maybe maybe talk about what the data has told us about this sense of never being able to turn it off. You're at work all the time. You're at home all the time. It's all blending together.
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it is key to scrutinize burnout and to measure it. Uh, over here in Europe, we have one third of employees who've told us in our latest uh, survey that their workload has increased. Roughly one in fifths who struggle to manage and you know their personal and professional lives. Uh, simply because, you know, uh, to your point, uh, both are blurred and you feel like it's a never-ending story. You have less breaks, you have less opportunities to do something else, even just to commute, to, you know, do something else. So it's probably increasing the pressure. And and to the point that uh, Dave mentioned earlier, uh, the predictors of burnout, I think they're pretty universal and they definitely work across geographies. They're very consistent globally. Uh, there is one one factor that is accelerating this perception of burnout is technology. Uh, And if you don't have the right tools to be able to work, you get a lot of frustration. Um, And in, in in some countries we've seen over here that this perception, this dissatisfaction level towards tools, be they collaborative tools or other systems that you've got to log into to simply do your job, uh, are not necessarily that easy to work with because many firms have to really all of a sudden in, in weeks uh, to really change their systems, upgrade to the cloud or what have you. And it creates a lot of, of issues for, for many employees. Uh, so that's that's one key uh, element. The, the other point I wanted to come back on is uh, this notion that, Yes, employee engagement is higher than last year, but when I said earlier, it, it might be misleading. I think we should not underestimate the fact that uh, there is a higher degree of polarization between employees. Zuzu are really, you know, happy working remotely versus Zuzu' who struggle with this whole phenomenon. Um, and, and just to give you a sense, we've got, for example, 40% of European employees who think that everything will go back to normal once mass vaccination will be here. And we have 50%, so pretty much the, the this, well, it's not half-half, but close to it. We think that the, the work uh, has changed forever. Uh, so very polarized situation. And let's not also forget that uh, some employees fear losing their jobs and and maybe less loyal than you may seek and once the economy starts recovering and things get better they may simply be less loyal and and you know attrition levels may be higher
1: which makes sense right i mean so lots of people are kind of you know if they're with a good company that's treating them you know well through this crisis then you know you, you tend to stay put right uh, but when this all subsides a bit you know we may have a a lot of employee migration again, this is why leaders need to really not look at Flex work policies, but look at anywhere work strategies. You know if this is this is not anymore a moment in time, this is the way we're going to operate moving forward. and everybody will have different degrees of of you know, uh, employees in the office versus remote. David to that, end, we we talk about anywhere work. Uh, strategies on this team a lot, um, and our focus here is is a bit of you know you know watching out for the burnout. Um, what are some of those strategies that we really need to hone in on to make sure that um, we're our, we're not going down the road of a policy? We're really looking at a strategic viewpoint on how to lead our employees in a remote situation uh, and keep them engaged and not burning out.
2: So there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. Um, you know so. Think about the dimensions of employee experience and we've written some research about that, right? What really matters and how that perception is made up again It's the sum of employees perceptions and working in their organizations every day But the most important thing is is what really drives engagement um, Is being able to make progress every day and work that they know matters, right? So they need to be able to have that sense that they understand what matters most And also that uh, that they can make progress in it every day And so they need to have an environment and the remote work environment needs to be one that's conducive to that so strategy is one that is, that addresses this in a holistic way right it's one that says okay Yes, we're going to enable you with technology. We're going to rethink the way that uh, the work is happening for you. We're going to try to understand it from your perspective, uh, and understand what it looks and feels like to be doing the type of work that you're doing as an employee remotely. But we're also going to take uh, take into account all these other factors. Some of them sit, for example, within HR. You know how we recognize people um, and how we you know how we um, we give them the, the sense of uh, how we do performance management. So. It's part of that as well. And uh, Betsy Summers and I have some research that'll be coming out on that to kind of fit into the anywhere work strategy for things like performance management and remote work. So, you know, there's a spectrum of things here to really be thoughtful about and get right. And it's not just the tech enablement, it is aligning all these factors to make sure that all those dimensions of the employee experience are improving over time as people are are working remotely, and it's going to be a higher percentage of the workforce, right? It'll be hybrid, um, a higher percentage, probably about 21% uh, in the US, and about 18% in Europe will be working remotely full time um, from, you know, after the pandemic. And so that's a significantly higher proportion. So there's reasons for, for getting these things right for a strategy as well.
0: Are there any um, examples that you, Dave or, or Toma can point to of like firms that have put programs in place or training program, you know, kind of training managers to identify um, certain signals of, of burnout before they get too bad or, you know, that are tangible um, for the audience to, to learn from?
3: Well, I can start with an example from uh, DHL, uh, the supply chain uh, company in in the UK and Ireland, where they voluntarily expanded the training program to uh, a bunch of middle managers uh, to precisely make sure that you know uh, frontline managers would would really know how to handle this. this. Uh, specific training on emotional intelligence. And to David's point, you know, reward employees differently. So they, they put in place uh, a dedicated reward program, DHL Heroes, uh, to specifically reward and recognize the hard work that has been, uh, you know, made by, by many, many employees. So they just one one example. Um, another one would be uh, from Societe Generale, for example, uh, a European bank, uh, well, global bank, uh, but was was headquarters in, in Paris, and they had a very massive and comprehensive uh, listening program uh, from all you know different business unit and countries to truly understand and listen to their employees. And i think this is really i know it's pretty obvious but it's it's really a starting point and there's so many companies that are not holistically not just listening to their employees but acting on the feedback they get and sort of closing the loop the way you have to close the loop on customer experience it's pretty much the same thing with employee experience and it, it truly matters when you start leveraging you know tools and skills from customer experience professionals, things around, you know, uh, employee mapping about uh, this closing the loop approach, uh, designing experiences specifically for employees. This really is a game changer because you showcase that you not only listen to employees, but you act on their pain points. How do you get ahead of
1: that, though? You know, so we have all this data coming in on our employees, if you will, we're you know, we're looking into people's living rooms on a daily basis, uh, you know, we have video evidence, you know, when, you know, things seem to be going a little wrong or anxieties high. Uh, what can managers do to make sure that they stay ahead uh, of situations so that their employees do stay productive?
2: One of the things that uh, that's come up is, we've seen some companies, one of them is a retailer, a large retailer here uh, in the U.S. Um, that's been thoughtful about, you know, every every company has constrained resources, right? We, they can't necessarily provide everything that anybody could possibly want, right, in their remote working environment. But what they have been able to do is identify critical needs in segments in their workforce. So, for example, uh, younger people who are earlier in their careers are much more likely to be living in a shared living scenario with a roommate or, so, or otherwise and not necessarily have the space uh, to you know, be able to have a dedicated working space, and so, uh, or they might be having, they might not have great Wi-Fi or whatever it might be. But being thoughtful about how they can enable those people in creative ways, um, providing some partitions, for example, that they could have around them, or uh, even as you know, emerging from the pandemic, if they're going to be working remotely a higher percentage of the time, offering some uh, co-working space vouchers, right? Things like that to help provide a space where they can they can be more productive. Uh, and, you know, alleviate some of those things that are specific to that group. So, and also like working moms, um, really hard for a working mom who's got childcare responsibility to attend 7 a.m. meetings, right? If that's become a corporate expectation. So some of the scaffolding that you can you can do as a leader within an organization uh, that you can provide is to help reset some of those norms and be more thoughtful about how that's going to impact and land on certain segments of your, of your employees. Um, and so, you know, Don't have that 7 a.m. meeting. Move it to a time when a working mom can reasonably make it without creating a a huge conflict at home, right? That kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and everybody at home has different circumstances, right? You know, as leaders, we really need to be mindful about that. So, gentlemen, we talked uh, earlier in the podcast about how company cultures were completely disrupted with this situation. Just this is unforeseen circumstances, you know, a pandemic and a recession, you know, back to back. Uh, But as we come out of this, you know, I think leaders need to really look at this as an opportunity, like the time is right now to, you know, embark on some cultural transformations and be prepared for, you know, the next crisis that comes. What are some of the things that we've learned from this last year, some advice that we can offer? First, Thomas, the whole notion of this cultural transformation, what do leaders need to do? Now that we've experienced this,
3: well, I think one of the key areas is to elevate the importance of employee experience and to embrace a new a new management approach. Uh, this is definitely going to be one way to strive out of the crisis because. It's easy to say, well, you know, this is not on, on my top priority and, and, and you know, I will invest in it later. Uh, but there will be ripple effects that we haven't necessarily fully anticipated. This is a massive shift. And if you want to embrace a new, uh, a new business model, if you want to accelerate uh, your digital transformation and so on, at the end of the day, these are tools and technology, and you need a strong culture to take advantage of these tools and technologies. Uh, and we have about 40% of employees in Europe who consider that their, their companies will, will somehow take advantage of it and think of the crisis also as an opportunity to really think differently and an approach uh, business from a, a different cultural standpoint.
2: I think of two things um with this <laughs> you know first of all you, you mentioned surveys uh, jen a little while ago for the for many companies the pandemic was the first time they ever really fielded any kind of a regular employee survey right to understand just you know how they're feeling about safety and everything else okay that's a great starting point right that's the kind of data that forms the foundation of a listening strategy. So expand that listening program. Um, I keep. I always hear concerns about survey fatigue. I have never met an employee yet that wants to tell their leadership team less, right? It is about inaction fatigue. People want to have the follow-up. They want to know that if they're going to participate in that survey and provide feedback, that it's going to go to some good, right? And the changes are going to happen with that. So this is a really good thing to kind of key in on. The second thing that comes to mind is the physical space, right? The physical office environment and space. Well, there was already mounting evidence that these, you know, that these co-working space like places with long tables and everybody sitting there with headphones on was kind of like in vogue. It was supposed to do something for us socially, but it was catastrophic for deep work and getting things done. So think about how you can use the physical space that you're going to keep more intentionally and more thoughtfully to create spaces that are more suitable for the kind of work that people actually do there right if it requires a lot of concentration great right make sure they've got space where they can focus that aren't going to be disturbed if it requires being on the phone don't put those people next to people that have to get a lot of stuff done right so the deep work done so you know be thoughtful about the physical space as well so those are two things
0: recently in the in the news we work CEO made some comments about remote workers, and it would just be interesting to kind of hear you both um, hear your thoughts on his statements about, you know, employees that are remote, how engaged they are, um, or those that are in the office. Any thoughts? Mm-hmm.
2: I have some strong thoughts about that one, uh, Jen, <laughs> if I may. First of all, you know, there's going to be a lot of propaganda and a lot of stuff that you're going to be hit with from, from people that have a reason to say what they're going to say, right? You have to look at what are their possible motives in, in taking the stance that they have, right? And they might even pick pick and choose some science here and there to kind of sprinkle in to, to underscore their point. But the reality is um, that perspective isn't valid. It's not really supported by the science, right? We know that people's engagement Peaks when they have the flexibility to choose uh, where the most you know conducive place for them to work is for their work, and having that sort of autonomy to be able to do that. And for some people, a high percentage of their time is spent doing you know really deep you know, concentration and deep work, and so um, being in a co-working space isn't really conducive to that. So you know think of, do it you know just be mindful right of, of the source, and and then also uh, question the 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 science that is selected and look at it more broadly. Uh, the science is pretty clear on this that when people have the flexibility to choose, um, engagement peaks.
1: You know, interesting enough about the WeWork and this whole idea of, of common spaces, um, you go back to the 80s, uh, we all thought that like, you know, open office plans were a, a fantastic idea and they kind of never became, you know, <laughs> a really great idea. Um, going back to the office, you uh, You know, you mentioned uh, designing the appropriate spaces for engagement. What are some of the things that uh, leaders need to think about when we go back to the office and we talk about these hoteling concepts and hot desks and, you know, more open office plans? Uh, It didn't work before. You know, what do we
2: need to know now? So from my perspective and and Tomah, I'd love to have you uh, answer as well. the more data that you can gather and the more insight that you can get about the way people actually work and what their preferences are and what they really need uh, from their perspective to be fully productive right take that into account when setting up your physical office space that kind of data will tell you okay you know we have this this many people that spend most of their time on the phone we have this many people that do this type of work right maybe it's it's design work or something that's not as not as um, it's more solitary maybe we have people uh, this percentage of people People that work on primarily project work with others so they're going to need to have some meeting space where they can get together so you know the more you know about how people actually work and the nature of their jobs the better you can you better job you can do of setting up your office space in a way that's going to be conducive to that so the data is important interviews are important journey maps are important ways to be able to get that kind of uh, that kind of insight and so uh but the great, great news is, is there's a lot more technology out there that can help you uh, with this as well, not just the surveys, but also things like hoteling. Uh, J.P. Gounder has been writing about this, um, you know, software that will help you with some of the implications around reserving space and so on. Uh, that will take into account more than just what somebody wants that day, but also what, the, what it knows about who's going to be doing what around them. Um, that kind of stuff can really be helpful.
3: Yeah, I, I can't agree more with you, David, about how you redesign the, the physical office. And I, I strongly believe the, the, the office itself or when people get together physically will still be very central to the culture of any firm. And it's really gonna be uh, the, the one way to create a strong sense of belonging. So it really matters to be creative and to reinvent that. That's gonna be a game changer.
0: Great. Well, thank you both for joining me today.
2: Thanks. You too.
3: Bye, guys.
0: If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.